You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. If you have your Bibles, look with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Grab your sermon notes. You can follow along this morning. Today we're concluding this series. The past few weeks, we've been talking about what does it look like to love like Jesus? What are some practical ways that we kind of live this out? Our theme verse for this series is found in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. We have it on the screen again this morning. I would like to invite you to read the words of Jesus with me this morning. Let's read it together. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the challenge here is pretty clear and it's pretty simple. Would you agree with that? What's the challenge? We're going to love one another, right? We're here to love like Jesus. If we're going to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, then that means what? That we're going to love like Jesus loved. Now, when we love as Jesus loved, there's at least three things that's going to happen. The first is this, our lives become worship to God. And worship is so much more than just singing a song. Worship is about honoring God with our lives. Two Saturdays ago, we had about 30, 35 men through S1A serve one another. Uh, We had about 35 men who were serving at the Hope House and at a inner city church where we were building a sound booth. And so we had like 35 men who were engaged in serving and through their serving, what they were worshiping as they were serving as Jesus served. Because what, if, if we're going to love like Jesus, then we serve others. That's what we talked about the first week of this series. But through their service, they were honoring God with their lives. Here's the second thing that's going to happen when we love like Jesus. It's this. We're going to be a blessing and encouragement to others. But we're adding value to others. And when you invite someone to your table and you break bread with them and you share love and you share life with them, what are you doing? You're adding value to their life. Last week we talked about when we love like Jesus, what we break bread. We invite people around the table as Jesus did. And we break bread. So we're being a blessing. When we love like Jesus, we're being a blessing to others. Here's the third thing that happens as we love like Jesus is we get blessed. How many of you like getting blessed? If blessings are happening, I'm going to be at the front of the line. Some of you say, well, you're just so emotional. No, listen, I, I want blessing, right? So what? As we love like Jesus... We get blessed in the process. Again, two Saturdays ago, as we were at the Hope House, we were trimming hedges and spreading mulch and picking up limbs and trash. One of the men came rolling by me with a wheelbarrow full of mulch, and as he passed me, he says, Pastor Farrell, I'm having so much fun. I said, well, sure you are. What are we doing? As we're serving like Jesus, we find fulfillment. We're living out love. So I, I can guarantee you at least those things, those three things are going to happen. As we take John 13, 34, and 35, and as we begin to live it out, we're going we're to honor God with our lives. We're going to be a blessing to others. And in the process, our lives are going to be blessed. Well, as we wrap this series up this morning, there's one last practical way that we want to talk about as to how we can love like Jesus loved. And it's through choosing the path of forgiveness. 
When we love like Jesus loved, this is what we do. We forgive others. Would you say that with me? We forgive others. Let's say it again. What do we do? We forgive others. There's a cute story of a young boy who disobeyed his mother and his conscience began to eat at him, began to bother him. So he's sneaking up to his room when his mother saw him going up the steps and she asked him, where are you going, Frank? And he told his mother he was going up to his room to talk with God. And she asked little, little Frank, says, Frank, is that something that you can't tell me? And Frank went on to explain, yes, it is, Mom. You'll just scold me and punish me while God will forgive me and forget all about it. <laughs> it's a pretty good theology there. As we come humbled, honest, and repentant before God in the midst of our faults and our failures, what does He do? He forgives us. 1 John 1, nine, great verse of Scripture, says that if we confess our sins before the Lord, that He's faithful and just, and this is what He'll do, He'll forgive us of our sins, and get this, He'll cleanse us of all, not some, but all unrighteousness. So the good news for us today is that we don't have to live under the weight of our failures, but we can be forgiven. But just as we've been forgiven, so we are to forgive others when they fail us, when they wrong us, when they hurt us. It's a given in life that if you have relationships then you're going to have the opportunity to practice forgiveness. So how many of you have relationships? Marriage relationship, family relationship, friendships, work relationships, neighbors, um, family members that you don't want to claim, you're, you're in relationship with them too. It's a given if we have relationship, then we have the opportunity to practice forgiveness. And, and, and let me tell you why. You've heard me talk about this for, before, but I think it's important that I say it again. Here, here's the problem is you're messed up, and I'm messed up, and when we bring that together in a relationship, we create messes. Pretty simple, is it? You're messed up, I'm messed up, and we create messes. See, if, if, if all of us were perfect, if everyone in the room was perfect, then we wouldn't have problems in relationship, would we? But here's the reality, none of us are perfect, right? You've probably figured that out by now. You thought you married a perfect woman, and then... You discovered not so, right? Or you thought you were marrying the perfect man, and then, um, and then life happens. When we have a relationship, we have the opportunity to practice forgiveness. Just a quick survey. How many of you would say at least one time in your lifetime someone's hurt you, wounded you, or wronged you? At least once. So, in the other side of the coin, how many would you say in your lifetime you've hurt, wounded, or wronged someone? In other words, you've been the one. And we would all, yeah, why? Because, again, here's the reality. We struggle in our relationships because we're not perfect. Therefore, it it creates the opportunity for us to live out forgiveness. When we're hurt, when we're injured, when we're wronged, then we have a decision to make. And and the the decision is this, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with the hurt? What are we going to do with the injury? What are we going to do with the wrong that someone's done to us? You know, there's two ways. There's two ways to live with hurt or two ways to process hurt. There's the way of vengeance and there's the way of forgiveness. And you're going to choose to go down one of those roads. Someone hurt you, what do you the, the way of vengeance or the way of forgiveness. The first way leads to death. The second way leads to life. See, left unaddressed, bitterness, resentment, and unforgiveness becomes like a terminal disease. 
These deadly attitudes eventually begin to eat away your soul, turning you bitter. And then what happens is it begins to destroy other relationships. You know, unforgiveness and choosing to hold on to points of offense and injury, it doesn't hurt others. It actually hurts you. You've probably heard this before, but it's been said that the act of unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for someone else to die. You're only injuring yourself. The unforgiveness and holding on to places of offense will not only wreck your life, but it will rob you of life. That's why we have these words of caution in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews 12, 15. It's on the screen. But I want to invite you to read this with me. Let's read it together. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So the author of Hebrews here, I believe, is warning, warning us of a potential danger. The scripture here talks, tells us that if a point of offense or a place of injury goes unaddressed, then it can cause a bitter root or it can cause bitterness to grow in our lives. And the end result of the bitterness is that it causes trouble in our lives. There's this long term negative effect when we allow injury to become a bitter root or to create bitterness in our lives. I want you to especially notice the first, if we can get that verse back up just for a minute, I want you to notice the first couple words of this verse. It says, see to it. Interesting, the King James Version actually reads like this, looking diligently. Now this phrase comes from the Greek word episkopos. And I'm going to draw emphasis emphasis to this because I think there's something here that we need to discover this morning. Episkopos. If you break that word down, the Greek word down, and we know the, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Now, I'm certainly not a Greek scholar. But as I was digging into this, I discovered this word, episkopos. is two words. Epi means over. Scopos means to look. So as, if we take that and we put it together, we have this word episkopos, which interesting, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul uses the same word addressing the bishop of the early church or the overseer of the early church. So basically what the author of Hebrews is telling us here is that you are the episkopos, you are the bishop, you are the overseer of your own soul. You're the overseer of your own heart. In other words, you have responsibility to give oversight to what happens inside of you. You That's what a bishop does. An overseer of a group of churches kind of directs, he gives oversight to, he brings correction and direction for this group of churches that's under his oversight. In the same way, the author of Hebrews is saying here, you are the bishop of your own soul. The bishop of your own heart. But you have oversight of what's happening inside. Listen, here's the reality. You know this to be true. You cannot control what others do to you. But what you can always control is what? How you respond. Why? Because you're the episkopos. You're the bishop. You're the overseer of your soul. So when someone hurts you, when someone wounds you, when someone injures you, when someone offends you, what you have a choice to make. Why? Because you're the bishop. You're the overseer of your soul. And you get to determine how you respond to that point of injury. What you have to know is that God's going to hold others responsible for what they do to you. 
In other words, you don't have to. Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 19 says that it's God's to avenge. In other words, God's going to take care of it. God sees and God knows. And he'll handle it. So what does that do for you? It means that you can release it and you can let it go. Why? Because it's God's to avenge. God will hold others responsible for what they do to you. But what you have to know is that God will hold us responsible for what goes on inside our minds and our hearts. Why? Again, you're the bishop. You're the overseer. That's why the author of Hebrews said, men, look carefully at or give care over your heart. Don't allow a bitter root. Don't allow a point of offense, a wrong, an injury, a hurt to create something that settles down in your soul that messes up your life. What does it do? Man, it begins to um, agitate you. You become angry and you're acting out of the anger and you're having bad attitude and you're wondering, where did that come from? You got a bitter root. Bitterness is settled into your soul because you chose to hold on to a wrong, an injury, a point of offense. Again, you cannot control what others do to you, but you can choose how you respond. And the best response is the path of forgiveness. Listen to what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. Jesus said these words, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, when, when we forgive, we can be for, forgiven by God. When we give grace to others, we can receive grace. But get this, this is really important that you see this this morning. When, when we choose not to forgive, we put ourselves in a precarious situation. When we choose not to give grace, to give judgment instead, then the scripture says that we close ourselves off to the very grace that we need in our lives. So choosing not to forgive someone really puts you in a bad place. So so what does it mean to forgive? This word forgive is the Greek word aphiomi. And this is what it means. It means to set free. Setting something free. It means to let go of. It means to release, to discharge, or to liberate completely. In in the time that scripture was written, in a secular sense, uh, it meant to cancel a debt. Or, or to release someone from a commitment. What are you doing? You're releasing them. You're letting go of it. So this word forgive means to forfeit any right to hold a person captive to a wrong that they've committed. In essence, the, the word forgive is, is kind of the picture of totally freeing and releasing someone. Kind of the modern phrase today again would be this. I'm choosing to let it go. I'm choosing to, to release it. So to forgive. Now, let me just say here that there's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. I think oftentimes we get those two words confused. Forgiveness is I choose to let it go. I choose to release this point of injury. I choose to release the individual of the harm that they created in my life. Reconciliation means that we're restoring the relationship. That we're bringing the relationship back together in a healthy way. Listen, I believe that forgiveness is always possible. I believe that you can always come to a place where you say, God, I choose to let this go. I choose to give grace. I believe that forgiveness is always possible. And I believe that forgiveness is always required. However, reconciliation is not always possible. 
And it's not always possible because it takes two people to reconcile, right? Not only does it take two people to reconcile, but I've been in situations, and maybe you have, where I've forgiven someone, but they are so dysfunctional and so unhealthy, it's not possible for us to have a healthy relationship. It's not possible to get to that place of reconciling the relationship. Can I pray for them? Yes, I can. Should I pray for them? Yes, I should. Can we reconcile? Maybe not. Should I forgive? Absolutely. So um, see, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. But we're called to love like Jesus. And when we love like Jesus, what do we do? We let it go. We forgive others. Jesus modeled this love and forgiveness for us. What we know is that Jesus was without sin and without fault. Matter of fact, we, we would say that Jesus was the innocent one. Would you agree with that? He was the innocent one, yet he was falsely accused. He was betrayed by his own, arrested by the disciples from the Garden of Gethsemane to Calvary. This is the picture, a quick summary of the picture of what we see playing out of the happenings. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, the innocent one, who's done no wrong, Yet he's, he's arrested. The scripture tells us that he's beat by the very soldiers who arrested him. They blindfold him and they're hitting him and spitting on him and saying, if you're the son of God, prophesy who just hit you. I'm about humiliation, talking about pain. And then Jesus was taken to the religious leaders, the very ones who should have stood for justice but didn't. They created a bogus charge against him that he would be crucified. Now they couldn't crucify him. They didn't have the authority to do that, so they sent him to the Roman ruler, which was Pilate. And they said, this man, this man claims that he's the king of the Jews, and this is an offense to Caesar. He deserves to be crucified. That's, that should be his penalty. And so we find Jesus before Pilate, and Pilate couldn't find like anything wrong. Like he's innocent. But the religious leaders, his own people, Wanted him crucified. So Pilate, trying to f- figure out how do I get out of this, said, hey, but, but you know, this is, the, this is the tradition, the time of year where we re- release one prisoner. So do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And again, his own people cried out, release Barabbas. And Pilate says, what do I do with this Jesus, the king of the Jews? That they crucify him. We know from that point that Jesus was taken to a pole, strapped to the pole, and they took a cat of nine tails, and they began to beat the innocent one until his body was mangled. The pain, the pain, the physical pain, but the pain of the rejection by his own. We know from there that Jesus was taken to the cross, and he was nailed on the cross. And as he's nailed to the cross, again, there's, there's the uh, rejection. There's um, the angry mob who's yelling out. Yet as Jesus is hanging on the cross, I, I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the very words he said, the very prayer he prayed for those who had inflicted the injury, for those who had inflicted the pain. Luke chapter 23, verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. 
But notice what Jesus said. This is what I want to emphasize. Notice how Jesus responds. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So here's Jesus experiencing the pain of the crucifixion process, the pain of those who rejected him, and creating this very situation he's experiencing. Yet, this is what he prays. Father, forgive them. What a model for us as we love like Jesus. So, So how do we forgive like Jesus? Let me quickly bring this to a closing, a summary this morning with three statements. How do we forgive like Jesus? How do we live out love for those who wronged us? Three things. The first is this. I believe that we pray for those who hurt us. You say, Pastor, that's really hard. I know it's really hard. I didn't say it was easy. It's not the easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. Notice, what did Jesus do as he's hanging on the cross? Bearing the pain of the crucifixion process, bearing the pain of the rejection of his own people. What did he do? He prayed. He prayed for those who who were carrying out this act of injustice against him. He was doing the very thing that he had talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, where Jesus said these words, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As you begin to pray that God would forgive those who've hurt you, those who've injured you, that God would work in their lives, this is what happens, your heart begins to change. Your attitude begins to change toward those who wronged you. As you pray for those who've injured you, this is what I, I know. It may, it may not change them, but it'll change you. It'll begin to transform your life as you love like Jesus loved. So we, we pray, not, not for harm, not God get them, not God curse them. Interesting the very ones who inflicted the pain on Jesus, Jesus didn't pray for their harm, Jesus prayed for their good. And I believe we should do the same. For that individual who hurt you 17 years ago, you've not told anyone about, but you've been carrying the excess baggage of that event that happened 17 years ago. In that place of your pain, I believe as we love that Jesus, we pray for those who hurt us, who harm us. Secondly, second way that we can forgive like Jesus is that we choose to give grace, not judgment. Grace, not judgment. Great illustration of this is found in John chapter 8. You can read the whole story. But here we have a lady who's caught in the act of adultery. It seems to be somewhat of a power play, maybe a setup. Long story short, she's guilty. The religious leaders bring her before Jesus with stones of judgment in their hands. And they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says, stone her. What do you say? Interesting, Jesus doesn't say anything right away. Scripture says he kneels down and begins to doodle in the sand. 
We don't know what he was writing. Maybe the sins of the very individuals who are standing with stones in their hand. That would be interesting. And then he addresses the religious leaders, and this is what he says, something quite profound. He says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then the stones of judgment begin to drop out of the hands of the religious leaders as one by one they left. And then Jesus says to the woman, the the woman who was guilty, again, she was caught in the act. He says to the woman, where are those who condemned you? Where are those who stood in judgment against you? And she said, they're all gone. And Jesus said this, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. But Jesus gave grace instead of judgment. Jesus gave love instead of condemnation. And again, I believe if we're going to love like Jesus, then we don't carry stones of judgment to use against those who have failed or failed us. What we choose, we make a choice, we make a decision that we're going to believe the best. We, We choose to give grace instead of judgment. I think a third way that we live out the love of Jesus is this, we forgive as we've been forgiven. We forgive as we've been forgiven. Colossians chapter 3 verse 13 reads like this. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And here's this last line that really challenges us. Where Paul wrote these words. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive others. Forgive those who've injured you, hurt you, wronged you. As the Lord's forgiven you. So think about that for a minute. Just reflect on that. How has Jesus forgiven you? I would think the same way he's forgiven me. I think there's three words that summarize this. And possibly you've heard me talk about this before. But the three words that quickly come to my mind. As I think about how's Jesus forgiven me. Completely, unconditionally, and continually. Completely. And that when when I come repenting, asking God to forgive me of my failures, and hear me, there are many, probably like you. He doesn't say, okay, Farrell, I can take care of these 17, but this 18th one, it's pretty big. You're going to have to work this out on your own. Never his response. As I come humbly, repenting, seeking forgiveness, he forgives completely. Unconditionally. Again, I love the verse in 1 John 1, 9. It's because of my own faults and failures. It's one of my theme verses. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all. Not some. Not part, but of all unrighteousness. Unconditionally, I'm forgiven. Like you. And then continually. Here's the good news with Jesus. It's not three strikes and you're out. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? It's not okay. You messed up three times. You you spent it all. No, continually. Continually. 
as we come humbled, God continually forgives us. How should we forgive others? How, you, how should you forgive that family member that's wronged you, that individual at work, that friend at school? How should you forgive them the same way God's forgiven you? Completely, unconditionally, continually. See, each of us has to choose. And I really believe this is like every day. Every day I have to choose. Am I going to give vengeance or mercy? Am I going to choose prison or freedom? Am I going to choose hatred or grace? Am I going to choose life or death? If we're going to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, hear me, friends, forgiveness is the only way. You can't walk in unforgiveness and say, well, I'm going to live like Jesus. Listen, no, you're not, you're not living like Jesus if you're walking in unforgiveness. I'm sorry. If we're going to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, we choose the path, the path of forgiveness. This morning, as we wrap this up, I, I want to give you the opportunity to forgive as you've been forgiven. And for some of you, this may not be an issue. Maybe you've taken care of everything. But I would think this morning, there's probably a number of folks here this morning that you've been carrying some excess baggage through life. You were not like serving as the bishop, the overseer of your soul, and you've allowed some bitter roots to settle into your soul. And you've been wondering, like, why am I always angry? Why am I always like so on edge? Why do I continue to to wreck relationships? Could it be... Could it be that there's some unresolved stuff? Some things that you've been holding on to that you need to let go of. That, again, to forgive means to let go. Maybe it happened yesterday, maybe it happened last week, or maybe it happened 27 years ago. And you've been just kind of carrying it forward, carrying it forward. Listen, you don't have to. You can let it go. As you have received grace, you can give that grace. And that doesn't mean that the relationship's going to be reconciled. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. What, what, what can you do today? You can let it go today. And this morning, we prepared the communion tables. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm, a, I'm just going to have you stand, and we're going to, we're going to sing through a, a song of worship. And as we sing through this song of worship, I'm I want to just invite you to come to the table. If you'd like, you don't have to. But come to embrace that of God's grace for your own life. The bread and the cup. And then, just find a place here at the front and and let it go. That point of injury, that point of hurt. So you can leave this place free today. That's good news. You have to leave here with the excess baggage you came with. You can let it go. As you've received grace, you can give that grace and walk free and live free. What we're loving like Jesus, we're letting it go. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, I thank you today for the wonder of your grace, for your grace that forgives us completely, unconditionally, continually. God, we thank you that today there is no condemnation for those who are in you because of the wonder of your grace. So Lord, as we have been forgiven, now may we forgive. Lord, as the bishop, as the overseer of our soul, 
overseer of our heart. Lord, it's our responsibility. We can't control what others do. But Lord, what you hold us accountable for is how we respond to that. What we allow to happen inside in our hearts. So Lord, I just pray today, Lord, if there's individuals who are here who've been wounded, who've been hurt, who've been wronged, and I pray that they would today, today that they would be able to let it go. To love Lord Jesus as you love. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.